Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program. We are continuing today with our series on the uh, Nehemiah principles. And uh, we come to principle two today, Randy. Accountability depends on honest confession about your situation. So last week we talked about the fact that uh, when Nehemiah hears the news about the condition of the city of his father's Jerusalem, he is uh, incredibly sad and remains sad for a long time. This is all in chapter one. And the second half of chapter 1 is, in fact, uh, a prayer that Nehemiah prays. The prayer has two parts. Uh, The first part of the prayer is a prayer of confession. Nehemiah uh, is telling God that the uh, people of Israel in general uh, have sinned and uh, strayed away from God's ways. And uh, he's just wanting to own that, wanting to admit that. He knows that before anything else can happen, uh, he needs to get... Uh, right with with God. And he asked God at that point to uh, restore them through his grace, right? Uh, that is right. He uh, asked in the second part of the prayer that, well, he actually says, you know, you promised, Lord, that if we return to your ways, you would restore us to home. So he's basically uh, reminding God, who doesn't need to be reminded of anything, but uh, he's reminding God of uh, a promise he made. That, that if <laughs> You promised me that yeah, we could do this. That if, if the people were repentant, willing to turn around, willing to uh, return to uh, God in his ways, that uh, God would favor that and return them home. In this case, he's asking for God to help with them returning back to uh, Jerusalem. So well, in in the second principle, Mark, I thought it was interesting because you have effectively taught uh, this uh, this story of Nehemiah, and I've always enjoyed you telling it, and it's always it always has a huge impact on the men who are listening. In the opening of chapter two, as they'll see if if they're following along in the life recovery guide for men, in the opening chapter of two, Nehemiah still doesn't have a plan, and he's still sad, and the king right. recognizes that. Right. And um, he's he comes right out and asks Nehemiah why he looks so sad. That's right. Before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about confession. Okay. The reason I say that is because I, I uh, was noticing last night uh, in our Tuesday night men's group that we have several Catholics in that group. And uh, the majority of the men are more or less out of the Protestant tradition, but we do have several Catholics. In fact, we have one young man who's a seminary student at uh, one of our Catholic seminaries. And uh, over the years, I've gotten to know Catholic theology well enough that Catholics believe that unless they have uh, gone to confession, they are really not to participate in the sacrament of uh, the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. or in other words, uh, communion. And uh, this uh, young man was talking about that, that uh, what he does when he goes to uh, the sacrament or when he goes to Mass, and he hasn't had the opportunity to go to confession, and he has somehow sinned against God in the meantime, he does not allow himself to participate in the sacrament. And uh, I was thinking about that, that uh, the Catholics uh, have 
more sacraments than we Protestants do. They uh, have the sacrament of marriage, the sacrament of baptism, and the sacrament of communion, but the Catholics actually have seven, and uh, one of the seven is the sacrament of reconciliation, which is what happens when a person does go to confession and uh, uh, unburdens himself of whatever sinful activities he's been doing, and of course the priest at that point um, uh, absolves him of the sin, and uh, in reality then, and what, what they consider happens, is that there is a reconciliation. This young man was, was going on to say last night that without the act of confession, one feels more alienated or estranged from God. And I, I kind of like the way he was talking about this, that you know, any of us who have sinned and who have not confessed that sin, we are in a state of alienation from God. And uh, I've always thought that uh, Protestants are a little weak at this. Uh, uh, I know many Protestant churches will have occasionally some kind of uh, maybe even a responsive reading in uh, their service where somehow collectively they're confessing their sins. Sometimes uh, in Protestant services we have a moment of silence and in which we are supposed to confess our sins directly to God. One of the things that, that I found out uh, early on in my recovery is that uh, the 12-step program does have, as one of the steps, uh, more or less what is an act of confession. It's uh, step five. Step four is you make a moral inventory of your life, all the good things and bad things that you've done in your life. And then step five is to basically confess that to another person. And I've always thought that other person should be a, a person of spiritual authority. And I know that for me, when I did that for the first time back in 1987, you know, it was uh, a great feeling of unburdening, and I think what was important about it is that I did do it with another person, uh, rather than just uh, kind of rely on my own silent internal confession. I, I think it was uh, really important to say it out loud to another person. Now, in my case, I actually said it to a, uh, a man who was, an, in fact, an ordained pastor, and of course, he did remind me of God's grace, and I do think that was, uh, at that point in time, an act of reconciliation. It was, you know, definitely how God works through other human beings. And uh, what I'm trying to say, I think, is, is that it was more meaningful. So I think I'm trying to encourage all you Catholics out there who are listening, if you haven't been to confession lately, you should probably go, and uh, for all of us Protestants to somehow figure out maybe um, a way to uh, directly confess our sins to another person, perhaps even a person that we would consider to be uh, a spiritual authority. It's interesting to hear you explain all of this because I was raised Catholic, right. and the first eight years of my schooling was at a Catholic, a parochial school that was grade one through eight. In second grade is when you uh, undergo your training for both confession and for First Communion, as, as the Catholics will call it. And they go hand in hand. Right. You don't get... You're, you don't get to participate in your First Holy Communion until you have uh, understood, learned, understood, and participated in your First Confession uh, experience. And it's like a hand-in-hand -hand sacrament in which uh, you are taught a heartfelt way of uh, inventorying and uh, 
sharing your sins and asking for forgiveness, in which case then the priest, and it's an intimidating process to go into, which back then they were all, you know, the the priest is in the center section of a three-section, you know, almost like three side-by-side closet areas, you know, and you go in and you kneel on the kneeler, and he, when it's your turn, he slides the slider, and there's like a... Mm -hmm. um, kind of a netting, um, uh, separating the two of you. And you've seen this in, in movies. This has been recounted in countless movies where someone right. is in the confessional. Right. And, uh, you know, you bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been X amount of time. Well, that first time when you're a second grader, this is my first confession. Yeah. And and it's just like you have, uh, I'm I'm here with uh, six or seven years of my life uh, to to, uh-huh. to be recounting my sins for you in in that very <clears throat> kind of sweetly naive uh, frame of mind of of a six or seven year old, but uh, so your observation of the close tie between confession first followed by uh, participating in in the Eucharist. Well, it's yeah, <clears throat> it's sacramental. It's uh, basically recognizing that any sacrament. Uh, means that Christ is in it. So what we're trying to do, I think, when we confess is uh, bridge that gap of uh, separation from God when we feel like we have been in some um, act or state of sin. Um, And it's basically being able to clear our mind, clear our conscience of the things that we've been doing and uh, to reconnect or get closer to God. Well, and, and it's it's followed by one other key step, yeah. and that is penance, the priest, yeah. Yeah. you know, absolves you of your sins and uh, and gives you penance. Right, and you are expected to depart uh, the the uh, the confessional and immediately go into uh, the the sanctuary, kneel down, and to um, you know deliver the penance that has been handed out to you by the priest, mm-hmm. and that that's kind of showing a a responsibility. Right. Uh, for this forgiveness that you've been granted. Right, that, that's right. And uh, so there is some act of uh, contrition following uh, the confession, which, again, is emphasizing, I think, uh, the humility of this experience uh, and uh, also indicating your dependence on God. So I think basically what I'm saying before we take our break here is that in this first part of our second principle, confession is a much more important act of our spirituality than I think a lot of us uh, give it credit for. I think a lot of us start taking it for granted. A lot of us do it silently and take it for granted that way. I think it needs to be a whole lot more intentional than that. And uh, I guess that's basically what I have to say about that. Well, I think it's a key point. And I think uh, it's not only powerful when you are confessing to another person uh, or a person of uh, spiritual authority, as you put it, but I think that there are times that um, confessing to your spouse. Yes, that's right. And that's can be incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's right. So those issues come up in group all the time. Uh, one of the guys last night had been. Um, doing some relapse activities, and uh, uh, one of his questions was, when does he tell his wife? Well, you know, generally the advice of uh, me and the group is going to be to tell her right away, but there again, um, we consider truth-telling to be one of the premier acts of recovery that you're no longer telling lies, but you're trying to become um, an honest person, and confession is uh, a part of that process. You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program.
you struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. Trigger of the Week, uh, we've decided, and sometimes we decide these things based on what's uh, going on in our own lives. Uh, Debbie, my wife, is at the moment in Chicago uh, visiting her parents, but uh, her father has had, uh, who is 96, uh, soon to be 97 actually, uh, had a major stroke the other morning and uh, became unconscious for a while, and uh, Debbie rushed into Chicago to be with him, and uh, we weren't quite sure how that was going to turn out. And um, as it turns out, uh, last night he woke up again, and uh, even I by phone was able to uh, talk to him. I was not able to talk with him because uh, he's not able to uh, really formulate words at this point. But uh, I will admit that uh, the whole episode, uh, uh, given how close I am to uh, my in-laws, was a trigger. And so in a more general way, I think what we're saying that the trigger is today is when uh, we ourselves are sick, I think that can be a trigger. When someone we love is sick, uh, when someone we love is perhaps in a final process of being sick and perhaps even dying, uh, that can be a massive trigger. And uh, anytime we get uh, triggered into our deep emotional selves of sadness or uh, anxiety, historically, uh, for those of us with addiction, that can certainly lead us back into our addiction. And that's kind of a summary of your uh, 2016. 2016 has been uh, filled with these kinds. Filled with these kinds know, of things. That's as right. as, yeah. as you say, you know, your own personal uh, health concerns and experiences, and now this with Deb's dad. Uh, this has been um, this has been a eight to ten month experience for you this year. So with, far, yeah. yeah, with with lots of challenges. So we uh, yeah. we continue to pray for your strength there as well. Well, let's return our listeners, Mark, to today's uh, show in which we're talking about Nehemiah Principle Two: Accountability depends on honest confession about your situation. That's right. So, um, what transpires now after Nehemiah said this prayer? You know, and again, we should probably say that before anything else happens. Uh, the process of whatever is going to happen should begin with prayer, and that's what Nehemiah does, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of repentance, a prayer of confession. So now chapter 2 opens. The Bible says it's the month of Nisan, which is, I guess, the Persian uh, calendar. I uh, 
you know, always I'm a smart aleck. I, <laughs> I drove it. That's, that's I, a, I, I know drove, where you're going, and that's where mine I, 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 I drove a, path, a Nissan Pathfinder for a while. But uh, <clears throat> it's actually about nine months later, after uh, Nehemiah's had the original news from this delegation that's come from Jerusalem, and uh, he says that uh, he's preparing the uh, uh, the food and the wine for the king, which is part of his daily job. And uh, we were talking about that last week, that uh, as a Jew and a slave, he at least gets to uh, live in the palace and hang out with the king. Um, the king's name, again, is Artaxerxes I, son of Darius I. He's a great ruler that uh, reigns for 40 years. And he, he's a, he's a, a man who observes things, evidently. And uh, Nehemiah says in the opening of the chapter that he'd never been sad in the king's presence before, uh, and the king notices that. And uh, the king dre- says directly to him, why do you look so sad? You're not sick. Uh, this can only be sadness of heart. Now, in terms of our theme of uh, confession, you know, we might also say honesty here. And uh, uh, the king is really asking him a question about why he's feeling sad. How many times do people ask us how we're feeling, and uh, what do we generally most of the time say? Fine. Yeah, we say we're fine uh, or okay. And uh, honestly, in, you know, in most social situations, you're just gre- greeting or meeting people on the street or at church or in the grocery store, and they ask you how you're doing. You know, we really don't want to get into, uh, you know, more intimate conversations about what's really going on. So, you know, social convention would tell us that uh, we probably should just say we're fine. How are you? But there are uh, situations, and these principles are about accountability, if we'll remember that, that if somebody that uh, we're in accountability with, and Nehemiah was certainly accountable to the king, if someone um, in our accountability system asks us how we're feeling, we should probably get uh, very honest. How can other people know how to help us if we're not honest about our feelings? So Nehemiah responds, uh, uh, why shouldn't I look so sad? The city of my father's lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. So in other words, I think at that point he's, he's expressing the fact to the king that he is angry. He doesn't necessarily say he's angry, but he describes the conditions that would make a person either sad or angry. Now, the Bible goes on to say here that uh, Nehemiah describes that when he says this, uh, he was uh, very much afraid. Uh, now, why? so why was he uh, very much afraid? Well, um, the king uh, was responsible for the entire, you know, Middle East and, you know, uh, reigned over a territory that... Uh, was perhaps the largest territory that any king had ever ruled over at that point in time. Uh, and so, therefore, the king was responsible for the condition of Jerusalem. And uh, by saying this, Nehemiah was kind of taking a risk here that uh, the king could get angry back. You know, well, um, he could have, I suppose, you know, uh, had Nehemiah put to death even for being so insolent. Uh, uh, but that's, of course, not, not what happens. What does happen is that the king says... Uh, what do you need? And we're going to cover needs in principle three, but I do think it's important to point out that uh, there are times when uh, we want to get honest about our feelings, including our anger. I think it's sometimes hardest for us to be honest about anger. Uh, it's also hard for us to be honest about anxiety. 
but Nehemiah here in this story is going to take a risk with the most powerful man in the universe. And he uh, tells him exactly how he's feeling. And uh, the response by the king is actually quite uh, caring. He, he asks Nehemiah what he needs. Like I said, we'll cover the needs part next week. But for all of our listeners now who are in the process of recovery, the, the journey of, uh, of healing, healing and recovery depends on our ability to take risks. One of my questions, I think, would be, who is the most powerful man or woman in your universe today? <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Randy, looking at you. and I know who it is. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, she's currently down in Marco Island, Florida. Um, yeah, I think in so many of our cases, it would be our, uh, our beloved spouses. Well, one of the principles of intimacy disorder that we talk about around here all the time is that uh, it goes uh, basically like this. We'll have the hardest time being honest with the person in life that we're most afraid of losing. So, in other words, if your spouse is the one that you're most afraid of losing, might wind up separated, might wind up divorced, and yet you're trying to work a healing program in which you're trying to get honest with each other, your spouse may be the hardest one it is to tell the truth, um, which seems counterintuitive. You know, in other words, uh, I know Debbie used to say to me, you know, I'm your wife. You should be able to be honest with me. But she was the one that I was the most afraid of losing. And one of the core beliefs of all addicts is if you really knew me, you would hate me and leave me. So um, I know that I had that fear all the time with Debbie, particularly in the early you know, days, weeks, months, and years of our recovery. So, you know, I could go to my 12-step group or my Christ-centered group or my counseling appointment or uh, I had my accountability partners, and it was relatively easy to get honest with them. I mean, I could tell them what I was feeling, could be on the phone and have those conversations, could be face-to-face, go out for coffee, go to meetings, um, and get relatively honest with them because while they were important people in my life, I wasn't deathly afraid of losing their friendship. Uh, With Debbie, that was not the case. I was definitely afraid of uh, losing her. So um, I just want all the people listening to hear that, that uh, this process of getting honest about what we feel um, is is an act of surrender. Basically, what we're doing is we're we're, uh, being called, I think, to surrender uh, that person's reaction. How How many of you listening spend hours in your mind, uh, imagining that if you said something or told the truth about something, uh, you imagine what the other person's uh, reaction is going to be. And therefore, you talk yourself in and out of uh, being honest. Uh, What I'm saying is that this Nehemiah principle, too, about confessing even our problem behavior, our sinful behavior, to the most important person in our life, uh, for most of us, our spouse, that's going to take an act of spiritual surrender. Uh, in other words, we're surrendering their reaction. Uh, and it's going to take a spiritual act of honesty, and it's going to take um, a lot of courage to be able to start telling the truth, uh, particularly when it involves confessing something we've done that's wrong. Well, I really appreciate how you wrap up this section uh, in the Life Recovery Guide for Men. Uh, in this Nehemiah principle, too, the last thing that you say in the book is, Our journey begins when we honestly admit the condition of our lives. 
As long as we hide our situation and deny our feelings, we'll remain captives of the enemy. That's right. When you think of when you think about the fact that we're in bondage uh, to our own fear, our own anxiety, our own sadness, uh, we're in bondage to our perception of the reaction of other people, uh, and we know that the enemy, the evil one, is in all of this, and his design is to keep us quiet, to keep us silent, to keep us unknown. Uh, that's what we're really, really up against. This is a matter of uh, spiritual warfare. Any closing thought that you want to leave the listeners with here? Get honest. And uh, let's all, myself included, uh, take more seriously our need, perhaps even on a daily basis, uh, to confess our sins one to another. That's what uh, James says, uh, by the way, in the fifth chapter. Uh, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. And uh, healing is going to require confession, and it takes courage, it takes spiritual surrender. And uh, if we can ever be an encouragement to you around here, please let us know. Let us hear from you, too, about uh, your reaction to any of these uh, series we're doing, including this one on the 18 Principles of Accountability, according to the book of Nehemiah. You have been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we thank you for joining us uh, this week for Nehemiah Principle 2. Again, we thank our friends down in the uh, Orlando, Florida area for their recommendation of this new series. Uh, this is the type of idea that Mark's talking about. We are always receptive and open to your uh, ideas, uh, to your triggers of the week. As you can see, we're quite uh, open and honest about our struggle sometime of coming up with one that you'll find useful and relevant. Uh, but uh, we hope that this week will be a week where you're going to be able to confront your fears and to get honest. Uh, until we join you next week, may your week be filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at faithfulandtrue.com. That's faithfulandtrue.com.